G'day everyone, welcome to the Outback Packers podcast, the podcast where two mates from across the world have a yarn talking Packers football and the green and gold. I'm Nick Gregory, joined by my co-host Joe Pearson as always. Today with a special guest, Brendan Dwerzinski. We tackle the Week 7 matchup against the Bills and look at how the Packers can try to recover next week against Detroit. But first, how are you doing, Brendan? Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, I am doing great, and I appreciate both you guys, Nick and Joe, for having me on this week. It is uh, truly an honor. So for those who are not aware, I am a host for Game On Wisconsin, at Game On WI on Twitter. Uh, host the final dump every Monday night with my good pal, the far more attractive half of our show, Matt Fralick, uh, <laughs> live on Mondays, 8 o'clock Lambo time. Uh, we also have the podcast version of it come out Tuesday mornings. Uh, again, Lambo time. Um, outside of that, though, I'm pretty much involved in football and sports every single day. I'm a sports talk radio host in lovely scenic Topeka, Kansas. Uh, do some play-by-play broadcasting as well, some writing, pretty much anything in the uh, the digital media world, the, the journalism world I've at least uh, dabbled in. So that's pretty much how I spend my time. So along with covering the Packers, talking about the Packers, being a Packers fan my entire life, uh, I'm I don't know about expert. That's probably a little bit too strong, but I cover the Kansas city chiefs every single day outside of my Packers fandom as well. So uh, a vast majority of my time is spent covering, uh, covering the NFL. So glad to talk to you guys. Glad to talk about the true passion here and uh, get into what is uh, something of a rarity during the entire course of my life. And that's a four game Packers losing streak now. Yeah, especially yeah. In, the, in, the, uh, in the Matt LaFleur era, I think. Um, as Yeah, I think, yeah. You know, the the fact that we hadn't lost a game, two games in a row until this season, and now we're up to four in a row, it's, um yeah, definitely a bit, bit of a strange feeling at this point. So, yeah, I think we'll start as we do every single week. Take, you know, a very brief look about how the Packers relate to the rest of the league. And obviously, the big thing on everyone's mind about, what, 13 and a half hours from now, the trade deadline. and Maybe by, by the time this comes out, we'll have already traded for DJ Moore and maybe Devontae Adams comes back or you know, we'll see. But this this trade deadline, I think, in, in such a, a different and kind of unnervingly strange year for a lot of Packers fans, I think we're not entirely sure how to approach it. Some people are saying we should be selling. Some people are saying the exact opposite, you know, and I think it's quite interesting to hear another perspective. Um, Brendan, what do you think about the the trade deadline and how the Packers should approach it? It's hard to know exactly what the single best course of action is for this year, because generally speaking, and I think this just happens when you're a fan of the same team forever and you experience so much success is you become so enamored with the way that they do business, that your guys do business. So for the Packers, that has so often been draft and develop, and you are going to use your picks to get your guys. You're going to turn them into what you want them to be as professional players. You give them the second contract, you, so you get them the long-term deal, and you keep things relatively cheap so you can then continue to pay the superstar quarterback or in certain cases, the superstar receiver, edge rusher, whatever it might end up being. So I think just on a natural, instinctive level, I'm very, I I would say I'm more conservative when it comes to the trade deadline, especially in the NFL. You know, in, in American sports, the Major League Baseball trade deadline is such a massive deal and superstars get moved 
all the time. The NBA trade deadline. It's not normally huge named stars, but usually it's solid role players who might impact a championship or a contending team. The NFL trade deadline, at least in recent memory, save for a move once or twice here or there, really does not see that many moves get made, especially not to the degree this year. I mean, on Monday this week, it was Roquan Smith being moved by the Bears. The week before, hell, the Bears just are selling off everybody. They send Robert Quinn, who's having a down year, but has been a good player for a long time. You ship him to Philly, a contending team. Christian McCaffrey to the 49ers feels like the final piece of the Death Star being added, and now it's fully operational. I mean, that is... We actually talked about this on my... (laughs) Yeah, on my show in Topeka that... You know, there's always this talk about how the, you know, the 49ers and the Shanahan system, going back to Mike, obviously with Kyle now, they can get any running back to work. But is there a ceiling on that? Like, is everyone just going to look pretty good in it? Well, I think we found out when you put a great player in a great system, it turns into something even more than that. It truly, truly great. So we haven't really seen this many impact trades in the NFL at the trade deadline I mean, shoot, you get this many impact trades over the course of a decade, maybe, if not even longer than that. So this year's kind of out of the ordinary. And I think the mixture of that and the fact that the window is not going to be open forever. I mean, I don't know what you guys feel about the Mm. the long-term outlook for Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback of this team. But as long as you, and this is how I've always felt about the situation, as long as you have a Hall of Fame quarterback under center, you've got a chance to be a contender, especially when that is, you know, 39-year-old or soon-to-be 39-year-old Aaron Rodgers because he's still got something in him. Now, how much that is can be debated. I think he's going to be around for a couple more years. You're not going to trade him. I don't think you're going to trade away any of the other key pieces because, again, as long as you've got Rodgers around, this franchise is going to think that it can compete for championships, for division titles, playoff wins, world titles, all of that. So this is a very long-winded way to get around to the original point. I do not think the Packers are going to sell. I think they committed to Aaron Rodgers for multiple years with the massive contract he got this offseason. And part of that commitment is we are committed to winning now while you are here. So I think because of that commitment and because of the renewed commitment as well behind the scenes to give him a little bit more say in personnel decisions, I do think the Packers are going to make a move. Now, it might be something small. It might end up being you know, a nobody, a wide receiver four or five, just as, hey, we need bodies at this point. Conditional seventh, grab a guy who fell out of favor, not get any playing time for some bum team, and you bring him in and, hey, that's our move because we need a warm body. I would not be opposed, nor would I be surprised, though, if you do see a Brandon Cooks this year, who's a little bit older, he's got a couple more years on his deal, he is a little more pricey because he is a veteran, he's 29 years old already, He's got 6,000-yard receiving seasons. I mentioned that on the final dump this week, that he is such an underrated player, and he's got underrated production. You know, Chase Claypool, is that a name that's actually out there? Sounds like Pittsburgh might not want to move him, but speed, big body. Originally, I was kind of against that, but now, given all the injuries, given the fact that the Packers just need something to spark them offensively, I'd be open to that. So again, I know this is a very long-winded answer to your question, Nick, but I do think in most years, and especially in recent years at the deadline, I would say, no, Packers, stick with what you got. Ride Rodgers, ride this offensive scheme. But now when you look at how disjointed this offense has been, the fact that Rodgers is frustrated, you need somebody who can separate on the outside. I I would be at least slightly disappointed if something doesn't get done because I feel like you're just running out of bodies at this point. And I, I tend to agree with you somewhat. I mean, I, you know, I kind of chimed in on the final dump 
earlier this week saying that I, I expected them to, I expect something to be done, like you said, but it's probably going to be one of those low level type trades that nobody sees coming. And it's going to be for, you know, a, a player or a position that you're going to sit there and question, okay, why did they do it? But, you know, at least they made a move. Uh, you know, and, and like you said, it's not like the baseball trade deadline, you know, trade deadline. You're not going to have those flurry of moves. I mean, we're seeing some, but you're not going to have that massive trade. And part of it is, you know, I, I kind of touched on this with Nick last on last episode. In baseball, you have the minor leaguers you can trade, you, you know, because they don't really do draft pick trades. They have some draft pick trades now, but I mean, they've got, what, four or five different minor league teams that they can pull prospects from to do trades with, and they play 162 games a year. So it's easy for a player to come over from a different team and integrate themselves into the culture, whereas with the NFL, we're up to 17 games. Trade deadline, you're already – we're at, what, week nine this already – you know, it, it takes them for a while to get integrated into that system if they don't play a similar system already. So it's really hard to have these flurries done. But I do think something might happen. Is it going to be what we want it to be? I, you mentioned Claypool, and I saw something today that Pittsburgh's asking for a second-round pick. That's a little bit steep. I, I think he's on an expiring contract. He's got, what, one or two years left on his deal. So, you know, I guess second round, if they really wanted to go all in, they would do it with what the Panthers got for McCaffrey. I'd hate to see what they're wanting for DJ Moore because, you know, he's mm-hmm. got the talent. He's younger. Um, I, I, I do like the Cooks idea, but I think he's got a no trade clause in his contract. So there'd have to be some kind of incentive for him to. Uh, relinquish the no trade. I know there's a lot of discussion going on, but I, I want to say I saw that mentioned one time that he had a no trade clause in his contract. I keep touching on this because I heard this on one of your fellow game on Wisconsin shows a couple weeks back, Lombardi bar Lombardi's bar. Uh, Matt Schneiderman was on there and he mentioned Jerry Judy. And ever since he mentioned it, it made a ton of sense. You know, Judy has all the talent in the world, but he's, really struggling to uh i was wondering because i think we did lose uh joe there at least momentarily (laughs) but i i will say to that point and and nick i'll send it back to your direction as well i mean i i think you know you can go with any of these receiver options out there and i you know, there's a reason around the trade block, right? I mean, there's a reason that maybe Claypool gets moved. There's a reason that maybe Brandon Cooks is no longer in the the deepest part of the rotation for the receivers in Houston. And, mm-hmm. and Judy's another guy who I loved coming out of college. He was coming out of Al, coming out of Alabama, excuse me. I loved him as a prospect. He's just never really taken off. So there's always a risk that comes with adding any of these guys. But I feel like if you truly are committed to winning now with these guys you have right now, specifically talking about Aaron Rodgers. I feel like you almost are forced to be in a position where if you're still in the playoff hunt, like they are now, even at three and five, you kind of have to make a move to sort of reaffirm that commitment year after year. Yeah. I think they're kind of in a really almost contradictory position because I don't think they necessarily expected to be like this two or three years ago. Um, And I think it's very evident in Gutekunst's plan when he drafted Jordan Love and things like that. I think he expected to be 
uh, you know, I think he expected Rogers to be have been gone by this point, really. And that's why I think a lot of, God, some of the roster construction has been a little bit confusing in the past probably two years. And I think, that, as you said, it's like to to kind of prove that they're really committed and really all in, like they have to make a move because they're kind of in a, they're financially, they're all in. They've, you know, totally destroyed the cap for the next, you know, for the foreseeable future. And they really have to do something to kind of, yeah, like commit to that window, as you said. Um, I think it's really hard. You, you Like this is a team that has been vocally thirsty for some kind of dynamism and speed, whether that's in the slot or on the on the outside, as we've seen with Christian Watson, who's unfortunately been injured for a lot, large part of the season. Um, and I think Jerry Judy is a great idea, I think, but... Uh, he's not someone that I think is going to add quite a large level of difference to this team. And, you know, they were really high on Claypool and they wanted to draft him. Mm-hmm. And someone like him, I think, personally, not the biggest fan of, but I could quite easily see them really pushing for someone like him and paying a second for it. I mean, if they're really desperate, it's definitely not out of the question. I think I go to someone like Eli Moore on the Jets, you know, Matt LaFleur's brother kind of has them and maybe he doesn't want to be there. It could be you know, a bit of a family connection. I mentioned this last week. Um, he's someone who I think is incredibly dynamic and someone who has so much more to give. He's, he's only in his second year, right? I think he's someone that could probably take over that Cobb role eventually on that rookie contract. And yeah, someone who can provide like a real definitive boost of energy and quickness over the middle or even someone like Kendrick Bourne, you know, someone who is a quiet, actually a very talented yards after catch receiver, perhaps a bit more understated, more on the cheaper side, might be able to get him for a fourth or a fifth, you know, in an ideal scenario. But he's someone who can offer a lot of easy yards, you know, they're, they're kind of living off these RPOs and bubble screens and the really cheap, easy yards. But when you don't have guys that can run, after the catch and when the one guy that you do have is you know injured for 75 percent of the time it's very difficult to live like that and yeah i think those are the guys that i'm looking at and you know i think dj moore is a bit of a pipe dream at this point i mean really and like with the contract and everything um it, it's gonna be hard to see them trading for a big big name uh, you know as you said i think it'd be someone a bit more understated or someone who's still very talented and they want someone on the rookie deal i mean everyone does but yeah those are the guys that i i feel we would really have a chance of getting. Yeah, I think you're spot on there, specifically talking about DJ Moore. I mean, I, would it be awesome to have DJ Moore? Yeah, of course it Absolutely. would be. What team in the NFL wouldn't want to add DJ Moore? But, you know, Carolina, there's such an interesting case, right? Because they had a dreadfully bad head coach in Matt Rule, who was so far under or, you know, over his head uh, mm-hmm. with that entire program. I've, I've always liked Baker Mayfield. I've always been a Baker guy. That clearly was not and has not been working out. You kick out the head coach. You try something brand new with P.J. Walker, who's not the most talented guy in the world, but he's obviously a good leader. He's got guys playing well around him. And suddenly you're seeing some pieces for that team kind of come together. I can yeah. understand why Carolina really wouldn't want to move DJ Moore if they feel like they are just a decent head coach and a decent ish starting quarterback away from being a playoff team. I could understand wanting to hang on to him unless you get blown away with, you know, multiple first round picks or something like that. I think Elijah Moore, who you brought up, Nick, is a very interesting pick in this case because you're right he's been disgruntled sounds like the Jets don't want to trade him I believe that was a direct quote from someone either in the front office or it might have even been uh, Robert I believe Sala, Sala said that, that yeah 
boom, right there. So understandably, they might not want to move him unless they, again, get blown away. He is an interesting case for the Packers because I really do feel like they could use someone who has a little bit more size because more is not very big. You could mm-hmm. use someone who can go get some of those deep balls that Rodgers has really struggled with over the course of the year, partially his fault, partially the scheme, partially the receivers. Everyone factors in to those long ball issues. Sure. I, I kind of lean toward going with someone if you can get them. Obviously, it's all a matter of who's actually on the market. I'd rather have someone who's big. But you make a great point about finding someone who can run after the catch. And if you're going to do so much RPO stuff, if you're going to keep running slants, bubbles, quick quick game, things like that, you probably just want more pure speed out there. Maybe that helps Rodgers get a little bit more comfortable with some of the motion stuff that he's been complaining about or alluding that he's complaining about recently. Maybe having someone with just more pure speed out there makes that a little bit more comfortable for him. So I'm at a point where originally I thought, yeah, I like more speed, but I'm not sure about him as a complete product. But at this point, again, needing bodies and just needing to get more team speed out there, I'd be all right with Elijah Moore. So you throw more in the mix. Claypool, I think you could at least make an argument for going and adding him if you're going to give him a contract extension or Mm -hmm. just straight up new contract. I still think Cooks makes a lot of sense, even though he's a little bit older. Any of any of these guys, I think, would help the offense in where it just most needs the help right now. And that's getting guys who just flat out can get open. Yeah, no, totally agree. And I think it's very difficult kind of where they're at this year scheme-wise because they're not really throwing a lot of like very timing-based routes and a lot of these concepts where it's, you know, based on like consistently based on the communication between these guys. It's a lot of, you know, let's do the bare minimum for the receivers and, you know, Rogers can kind of process it and that's how we're going to run this offense. And it's like they're not giving very much responsibility to the receivers. So it's very hard mm-hmm. to kind of project what an actual very talented receiver would look like, aside from what Devontae Adams did, who's kind of the very the very opposite end of the spectrum who can do literally everything, you know? Um, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. quite, it's, it's hard. But I think, yeah, a receiver is a really interesting one. So looking on the other side of this conversation... Who do you think that even as contenders, the Packers might be looking to deal? You know, I think of someone almost like a, hate to say it, like a Daniel Savage, potentially, like someone who maybe wouldn't affect the the trajectory of this season all that much, but they could still get a reasonable return for. I said this last week where I thought Darnell Savage made a little bit of sense in like a ha-ha Clinton Dix trade. He's really not fitting in with the scheme. Obviously, his tackling's atrocious. I mean, if you really sit there and look at it, you would think it is ha-ha Clinton Dix all over again. Had a solid rookie year, and then now he's just kind of fell off. So I, I could see them trying to move him for anything they could get, even if it's like a bad player for bad player type trade. Um, if the I agree with what Brendan said earlier. I really don't see the Packers selling anything. And it's not just because of having Aaron Rodgers and Hall of Fame uh, quarterback and all that is I think it's too hard with contracts to get to dump them. I mean, I've seen enough of the David Bakhtiari needs to be traded and stuff like that. Well, you're not going to get much cap relief out of a Bakhtiari trade. Matter of fact, what they say, it was going to be like 10 million but his cap hit, was, or I mean his dead money, was going to be atrocious. Rodgers, kind of the same thing. Theoretically, you could maybe make a case for Aaron Jones, 
but I, the way the Packers are right now, I wouldn't do that because there goes your main playmaker. So I, I, I don't see that happening. Maybe an AJ Dillon could, but again, I don't see that really being, I mean, they could probably get something out of him just because he's young on a rookie contract and who doesn't want a bowling ball for a running back. Um, None of the receivers are going to go. The one that wouldn't surprise me in a way, but now that he's hurt his foot, it's going to be interesting. I don't know how they'd make it work, but Elton Jenkins, a little bit of an older guy, <clears throat> even though he's still on his rookie contract, a little bit of an older guy, final year of his contract. You know, I could see them moving him just, you know, to see what they can get out of him. But really, I, I, I don't see anybody that I could I could think of that would, one, get us any kind of solid return, and two, that we could handle losing without hurting the team and making us into a Detroit 2.0. So, I mean, I, I named the guys that I... I theoretically could see being possible but i it's too hard to imagine who they could sell off for anything yeah i think from from my perspective on this the name that has come up from from both you guys mentioning it is darnell savage because it just it's not working and you've already got the fifth year picked up for him and he's not necessarily a bad player, but he also has not lived up to really any of the hype that he was brought in with. And the, you know, he was a first round pick and the hope was that he could be, you know, anything from just a bona fide long-term starting safety, which he has been, but I wouldn't exactly call him a superstar at that position by any means. Maybe he could play something of, I know uh, Zach Jacobson from Game Out Wisconsin, Packers 24-7 as well, has referred to him as wanting him to be more of a, you know, honey badger, Tyron Matthew type of player, a box safety essentially. And he has been better when he's played in the box, but that's clearly not what they want out of that particular safety spot. And it, almost would make sense if you had a reasonable replacement you don't necessarily on the roster right now I mean the only other safeties you've got Tariq Carpenter the rookie Rudy Ford Dallin Levitt those two Ford and Levitt obviously are more special teams guys although Ford in very abbreviated snaps defensively has been okay at safety this year granted you could probably do something with either Shamar Jean-Charles or Keyshawn Nixon that you could move someone into something of a hybrid safety role in a pinch and make it still work. I think the thought of putting Douglas in a role like that is probably not what they would do, but I am at least a little intrigued by the thought. So there's a couple different ways you can mix and match it. If you wanted to move someone, if you felt like you had to move someone to recoup a draft pick, say you go out and you get you know, any one of the receivers that we talked about a little bit earlier on, and you feel like, all right, we want to make sure we still get this pick without losing a ton of production. Maybe you do end up moving a guy like Savage just for that sake. And you say, we just think one of the guys we have, you know, if it's Rudy Ford or someone else, they can be good enough to make up for, for the loss of Darnell Savage. Maybe you could see a plan like that. It's just hard for me to see anyone on this team who would be worth anything. So you're essentially looking at the starting lineup being moved right now, considering just how thin the talent is in general. We talked about this on the final dump on game on Wisconsin, all preseason, all training camp. 
that when you look at the top end talent on this team, you think, okay, there's a lot of talent here offensively and certainly defensively. But beneath that is where you run into the issues that there is effectively no depth anywhere on this roster, no real meaningful depth anyway. So it's hard to see a team that, again, I am theorizing is still in total go for it mode, still in total go try to win a championship mode. Hard for me to see them trying to move a starter in order to continue that when they already have so little depth behind them. So for the sake of the exercise, I think Savage makes sense. I understand the logic too, Joe, that you bring up with AJ Dillon. I just think that the Packers value him so much. I mean, he's effectively your pass blocking back, which obviously is a big deal for a team that, well, could use as much help blocking as they could possibly get right now. They put a lot of faith in him in a lot of situations, goal line situations, a lot of short yardage stuff. Hell, he gets a lot of non-short yardage snaps as well, first and long, second and long, things like that. I think they value him too much within the organization to move him. So if you want, again, to circle back, if you want one player, I think Savage makes some sense. If you kind of squint and tilt your head, you can see a path for that. It's just hard for me to see them moving a guy when you already have so little depth and you really effectively need all 11 starters on each side of the ball to play damn near every snap at this point. I'm going to mention a name, and it's not so much as a trade thing, but I want to see what your guys' thoughts are on it because the guy seemed to have a pretty decent preseason when he was brought in late, and you don't really hear anything out of him anymore, but that's Micah Abernathy. I, I, I saw somebody on my Twitter feed mention him earlier today, and, you know, obviously you don't expect much. Undrafted come from the – xfl i believe was it xfl or was it the other one but usfl yeah usfl that's right and i mean you see guys that have come in like pj walker was in the xfl um and and there's been a couple others that have come that have had non-traditional uh ways to the nfl but what do you guys think it, let's say we do the hypothetical, okay, we're going to trade Savage, but, you know, and this, you know, kind of side note, this could be also where I was talking about. It could be a low-key trade that nobody sees coming, and a safety could be brought in. You know, Goody could find the safety that he really wants to bring in for, you know, maybe a six or seven, conditional six or seven. But let's say we do trade Savage for, you know, let's say a fourth-round pick just kind of to keep my – haha clinton dix uh mirror image going you know could he from what you guys saw of him in preseason could he be somebody that could really surprise and come on and be that be a type of guy that could fill a role or even be a rotational guy with a rudy ford who in limited snaps has seemed to be able to play you know just a smidge better than Darnell Savage, which, you know, you got to set a low bar for that one right now. But, you know, what do you guys think of that? I'm kind of something that, that Brendan said earlier, really, it's kind of made me laugh because it's, it's strong, a strong view that I hold about the way this team has been constructed the past three or four years is that, yeah, the, the high end talent is so good and the starters are so good. But Everyone behind them, like not necessarily just bad, but it's like, you know, it, 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 perfect example, I think, is the receiver room, right? You have Devonda Adams, who's like an S tier player, anyway, you cut it. 
and behind him, Alan Lazard, MBS, you know, Cobb, these guys who are still good role players, but they're really like B at best, maybe a C. And it's like, they, have, they, they really, they put, them, they put themselves into these positions where they have so many middling players and they, 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 you know, they get, they get so worried about, oh, maybe I should keep Jake Kumaro or, oh, I'm not really sure what I should do with this guy who's going to be like the fourth string receiver. But like, I mean, as a whole, they're all not very good. And it's kind of like this, this is a very common theme like, amongst many position groups in this team. And safety, I think, is a perfect example of that. It's like, you know, oh, yeah, Reeford's okay in limited snaps. Uh, Dallin Levitt's kind of promising. Mike Abernathy, yeah, he's all right. But like, when you look at it, like, really around the league and already how bad Savage is playing as the starter, I just think it would be basically like suicide to just run with Abernathy and Rudy Ford and kind of just like hope that it's going to be okay. I would think there would need to be some kind of corresponding move if, like we said, they're going to commit to this being an all-in year. Well, geez, Nick, all you would have to say was I was wrong. You didn't have to <laughs> cut me apart on that one. Jeez. Let, let's see what Brendan has to say. Do you want to stick the knife in the other side now? <laughs> I will just say that I personally <laughs> find it, I would find it hard for this regime to commit to guys off the street when they're trying so hard to make guys they already have and spent more capital on work. It just doesn't feel, you know, and this team has been willing to move off of guys and, you know, not fall for the sunk cost fallacy before. We all remember Jamon Moore, or maybe you don't remember Jamon Moore because he was terrible and it was a total waste of a fourth round pick. It was the year when three receivers I got drafted. Remember, it was Jamon Moore, Equinemius St. <laughs> Brown, and then... Uh, <laughs> And then MVS, obviously, as well. You know, th- this t- group, this team, this front office has been willing to move off of guys they drafted before. The Savage thing, they've just invested so much in him. They've picked up the fifth th- the fifth year option. They've put so much into him and have dedicated so much effort to getting him to work. I would just find it hard to believe that they would trust guys that they haven't given that role to. Because realistically, too, you would think, given the struggles that Savage has had in some of these games where the Packers have been out of it, have been struggling, whatever it might be, you would have seen a little bit more of Ford or Abernathy when he's activated or whatever it might end up being. And we haven't seen any of that. So I think those are at least clues that it wouldn't work. I would not be opposed, Joe, to giving it a try in, you know, again, in small doses, but... That doesn't feel to me like the kind of thing the Packers would do. Again, to go back to the overarching theme of this entire discussion tonight, the fact that this team is going for it, whether whether they should or not, whether you want them to or not, this team is going to continue to go for it and commit to whatever they believe is a winning formula. And as long as they're doing that, it doesn't seem like Goot. It doesn't seem like Barry, Matt LaFleur, whatever name you want to throw in there to suddenly stop playing a guy they've committed so much time and energy to. Well, now I'm going to be that guy. I mean, I typically am that guy most of the time, but I'm going to be that guy. But, and Nick, you might not remember because I know your football knowledge starts in 2016. But if you think back to 2010, and I know I'm comparing this team to 2010, with all the injuries they had, they started relying on guys off the street, Frank Zombo, Eric Walden, uh, there's another one I can't – there was another edge rusher that I can't think of off the top of my head that they signed that was – that did enough for them at the position that they needed to 
well, you even had Charlie Pepper that was an undrafted free agent that they had that filled in. So, I mean, not not to shit on your what you were just saying, Brendan, but the Packers have shown in the past that if when it comes down to brass tacks, they're going to throw anybody they can out there that's going to make a play for them. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying my idea is great to bring Micah Ab- Abernathy in. It was just like I said, I, I it was a name that you you saw a lot in preseason and then all of a sudden you don't hear anything about and then I just randomly saw a guy mention it on, or it could have been a girl, I don't know. I didn't pay attention to the Twitter handle. Um, but I just saw the name pop up on my Twitter feed and – you know, it, it just it, that put that spark back in there that, OK, we're seeing Savage not do well. We're already plugging and playing with Rudy Ford and Levitt. So why not give this other guy a chance? So, I mean, that was my thought process. No, and that's totally understandable, too. And I, I'm not sure if this is who you were intending to bring up going back to the 2010 Super Bowl season. But I mean, Howard Green has one of the most important plays in Packers history. And he was signed right. in October. October 27th of 2010 is when the Packers signed him. He's the one who hit Ben Roethlisberger that led to uh, Nick Collins with the pick six. So, I mean, yes, you you are right about that. I'm the, the reason I'm basing it on that is more so what we have seen from the personnel that are in place now, because you're right. And at the time I would agree, but I think Goot has done things just enough differently than Ted Thompson. And Matt LaFleur has done things just enough differently from Mike McCarthy. That leads me to believe that this amount of energy they have focused in the position is what will keep Darnell Savage in that role, no matter how much he struggles. But I mean, that's not to say that somebody can't help out in a pinch. We also have to remember that that team suffered so many injuries over the course of the year that led to that, that until we get to that point with injuries, with guys getting banged up, I would imagine it probably stays status quo, but that is fair. That is a fair point of historical perspective. Yeah, you uh, Howard Green was a name, but it wasn't. There was another linebacker that I can't remember who was signed. I, I think it was because we had went through so many inside linebackers at that point that and edge rushers at that point that they were just bringing random guys in. And like I said, I know there was Zombo and I know there was Walden, but there was one other guy that I think spent a little time in San Francisco before coming to Green Bay, but. I could spend all night trying to think of it, and I suppose I could look it up because we got Google at our fingertips, but I think we probably should move on to our next. We, I, I think we've beat this horse to death. So, Nick, what do you think about moving on to our next <laughs> and unfortunate part of the show? I think a lot of this was just trying to uh, avoid the, the negative energy that we've become a little bit familiar right. with this season. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, look, let's do it. Like I said, the fourth consecutive loss at Buffalo. I mean, look, this was another loss, but to me, the eternal optimist, I think there was a lot actually to kind of like about this game. Like I, I didn't have that same feeling of dread after watching this. I mean, obviously there's still the same problems that are really frustrating, you know, things like the defense, blah, blah, blah. Like we all know by this point, but there was a lot more. And like finally some evidence of a bit of growth, you know, some of these players kind of resurfacing after being almost like non-existent. You know, uh, Josiah Deguara, he had a very prominent role in this in this game. Aaron Jones is finally allowed to touch the ball more than five times in a game. Uh, Toure gets some snaps, you know, things like this. It's like, sure, we didn't win and it's 
objectively not a good outcome, but there's a lot more to look forward to next week than there has been in previous weeks. And I think even if it takes them a while to bring these changes on, I really, uh, I, I somewhat enjoyed seeing these changes slowly taking place and I feel good about where we could go. Spoiler alert, Aaron Jones carries is not one of my over-unders this week. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah how do you guys feel about this like what do you what let's start with the, the good stuff the good vibes good energy what positive takeaways do you have from this game for me i think for they me- actually gave aaron jones carries and i'm sorry to interrupt you there brendan but no you're all good uh i just it's kind of been a running joke on our show the last few episodes that like i said with the over-unders that i do it's been every week that I've set the bar so low with these over-unders for Aaron Jones's carries. I think finally last week it was what, Nick, 12 and a half carries that we were shooting for. Yeah, and yeah. And, I think this is the first week it's actually been over. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's just amazing that now, obviously, the offensive line got beat up pretty well, but Buffalo has a pretty stout front seven. Uh, like you said, Samori Ture was getting some uh, decent snaps. Uh, he had the amazing touchdown. The way he ran that route and the scramble drill, you thought he was a five-year vet. So, I mean, and uh, Dobbs, uh, you know, that touchdown catch he had, you thought uh, Devontae Adams had taken over his jersey for a moment because we hadn't seen that all year. And I, I know they kept talking about it on the broadcast where he twisted and turned like four different times just to locate where the ball was. Um, now, here's where I'm going to rankle a little bit of feathers because I know how Brendan and how Nick feels about this guy. But um, Mari Rogers was even getting some play. And that's been my guy all year just because I, I kind of like Brendan was talking about with the Darnell Savage thing, you know, they're not going to give up on him. I can't give up on the guy and I, I, I can't judge him just on special teams because we've seen in the past where guys just can't play special teams, but they can ball out in other positions. So, and it was kind of, I was kind of floored when I actually heard Aaron Rodgers mention Amari in a, a press conference more than, you know, well, he returns kicks for us and that's about all I got to say about it. You know, he he kind of complimented Amari with the catch that he made. And, you know, he, he's been pretty solid. You know, obviously he's a smaller guy, but he was actually doing pretty good as a pass protector. So, I mean, it, it was great to see him start having more of a breakout role. Deguara, like you said, you know, he played, I think, the highest amount of snaps he's played since being drafted. So, uh, Tunyon was doing decently the the whole offensive thing was it seemed like the o line wasn't holding up which is weird because we've grown accustomed with green bay having these amazing offensive lines i think rodgers is getting a little frustrated with the injury stuff because they're not finding out about it until last minute last week it was bakhtiari they didn't know until 90 minutes before the game this week it was elton jenkins 90 minutes before the game they didn't know he wasn't going to play so I, 
Yash kind of got beat up a little bit. Zach, Tom, I I think Brendan and Matt mentioned it on Final Dump over on Game on Wisconsin that uh, you guys talked about the uh, PFF grades. Now, as anybody who's listened to the show knows, I don't like PFF for nothing. But I, I was kind of surprised that they had Zach Tom rated as high as they did because I felt that he was getting beat up pretty badly. Now, again, like I said, Buffalo has a pretty stout front seven, but he he really wasn't holding up that well from my perspective. Now, obviously, I should preference this. You know, I played a little bit of high school ball, but I have nothing outside of that. You know, I, I've never been a coach. I've never played beyond that. But, you know, just from a layman point of view, it looked like he was getting beat pretty bad. Bach looked like he held up pretty good. Josh Myers looked like he struggled a bit. It looked like a lot of the communication along the line was really kind of struggling because you'd see a guy miss this block because he went off, you know, he shed to make a different block. So, I mean, that could have just been the rushes that Buffalo was doing or whatever, but overall I felt better about this offensive performance than I had before because it looked like a cohesive unit outside the yield line. But, you know, I, I don't know. It it didn't – I think if you go by the stats, it wouldn't have felt like the Packers should have lost this game, but they still ended up losing the game. So it, if we can carry that over to Detroit, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes, then I'll feel even better because that means they're starting – I think, Brendan, you mentioned this on your show earlier that it seems like Rodgers is heating up. He's finally getting comfortable with what he's got. And he's starting to make plays, and it's it's about time. I guess that's all I got to say. It's about time. Yeah, and you guys have covered so many of the bases from this game. The one thing I do want to add, because I I'm not super high on the performance. I love the optimism from Nick, especially to to be so positive about this. I'm, I love the optimism. I do not. <laughs> shared that same way I'm not necessarily more pessimistic after it I just don't think that I'm in the camp that feels as though things are necessarily directly on the up and up at this point I will say it was nice to get something out of so many guys and yes I think the Bills were more than willing to allow the Packers to run the ball and to just keep running those inside dive plays. And they were willing to give up five, six, seven yards of carry because it was burning up a lot of clock. Dudes weren't getting hurt. It was going to just speed up the game. They were going to get out of there with a win and and send the crowd home happy. So I do think that that was all in all more so the plan for Buffalo. And that was more the fact that Jones had so much success and Dylan to a degree too, was more so about Buffalo just kind of messing around than it was about the Packers actually doing anything great. But the spin zone of that is, Hey, you gave the ball to Aaron Jones more. We've been begging for that for weeks and beggars can't be choosers. Whenever it ends up happening, you got to be happy to see that happen. I thought Rogers made a couple of really nice plays. It was a very good throw on the Dobbs touchdown, not a great throw, but a very good throw and a tremendous effort by Romeo to make the touchdown. I thought the scramble drill, as you mentioned, Joe, with that ended up in the touchdown for Toure. I thought that was a tremendous play by Rogers. So you're seeing him heat up a little bit. And Jair Alexander looked awesome. That That's my other biggest takeaway from this game is that Jair Alexander looked awesome and he was up for the test. And in a game like that, when you lose by multiple scores, usually I don't love when people are talking shit and taunting and celebrating and just talking nonstop throughout the game. 
Jai actually backed it up. So that, that is the one thing I will give him credit for that he more than maybe anybody else actually backed it up in that game. So yes, there were some positives. I'm not necessarily more optimistic about this team right now, but I will say there were at least a few things that you can hope as you alluded to Joe, that you can then put together, have kind of coalesce at the right time and turn into some tangible positives coming up for the Detroit game. Well, that kind of brings up a question, and I, I'm going to sidetrack this again. I, I'm full of questions this week. I'm very inquisitive. What do you guys feel about Jair's trash talk and showmanship this against the Bills? Because I've seen it's been very polarizing to the not just the Packer fans, but it seems like some of the beat writers have kind of been off about it. I don't necessarily have a problem with it because, like Brendan said, he really backed it up on the field. But I, I just it, it seems like I said it seems very polarizing because you got fans that say, you know, you're losing, so just shut up and play the game, and you know, do your job and whatever. But then you have others that are kind of enjoying it because they're seeing a fire finally out of some player. And that's been another thing we've talked about week after week on this show that it seems like there's no fire amongst the players. So what do you guys, what are your guys' takes on uh, the trash talk coming from Jair? Look, I mean, where I'm at, you know, me and Jair talked about this endlessly. You know, every week people complain, oh, this team has no fight. Oh, there's no leadership on this team. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when your defense, when the defense wants to be there, when they want to play, when they want to show up and compete. This is this is like this is what it looks like. Like you can't expect your players to be super rah rah and energetic, and then also just shut it down as soon as things aren't going their way. Or oh no, Stephon Diggs, scary, not going to say anything. This is this is how you play the game. This is football, dude. Like you can't complain that Jair, who has a, a history with Stefan Diggs, we all know this, He, they both respect each other. They, they talk shit, but, you know, they, they, they both respect each other, and that's why they do it. This is it's part of the game. I think to complain about it, it is kind of, you're just admitting that you're lame, in my opinion. I mean, again, I think that when you can actually back it up, even in a losing effort, it hits a little bit differently. And I think the thing, too, with Alexander in particular you just sort of live with that and it comes with the territory of who that player is. I mean, Chris Collinsworth would not stop talking during the broadcast. Well, just in general, but would not (laughs) stop talking about how they could not get Jair to talk about Diggs or Davis or any of the other guys for the bills, because he just wanted to talk about him and how well he was going to play and how much he wanted to match up with those guys, et cetera. I think it just comes with the territory. And generally speaking, like I said earlier, when you're losing your ability and your leeway to talk smack, I think dwindles severely, if not completely disappears. But when you back it up and when that is how you get that energy from a player, I think you just have to live with it. And I think you say it's okay. And to be frank, this is a team that has badly needed a spark of energy from someone, anyone on either side of the ball. So if if that's what it takes, if it takes Jair talking smack, even when you're losing, I'm willing to live with it because nobody else has brought that rah-rah kind of energy to this team as of yet throughout the entire season. To be fair, Jair is kind of an odd duck anyway, but you know, that's a whole nother story for a whole nother podcast. But I, like I said, it, it just was really weird that even the night of the game on Twitter, people were just having a fit because he was 
you know, showing that fire and trash talking and doing his dances. And I, I thought the putting the sword away was kind of funny. Um, but it, like Nick said, we've pounded the table week after week because this team showed no heart. And now they're finally showing some kind of life and people are telling it's kind of like you hear about the fans at Lambeau field yelling at the other ones to sit down when they're standing up cheering, you know, how, (laughs) how do you say, okay, well, we need more life, but the minute somebody shows life, you're going to tell them to shut up. I, I don't know, but we can move on to the next part of it. Maybe we should move to the defense because yeah. I Nick knows I have I can rant and rant for days <laughs> on a lot of this shit. Um, yeah, I think something I want to talk about very briefly with this defense. I mean, look, they're obviously a struggling unit and individual talent just kind of struggling to connect and communicate. Something that I kind of saw being complained about is, you know, why didn't they just throw Jair on Stefan Diggs and to some degree, look, I do agree with that. You know, you want to match up your best players against your best players, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, in New England, Bill Belichick has been doing this, this basically his entire tenure. Is, you know, you have your your best corner on the second best receiver and you double the number one. And I think especially in a scenario where you have Russell Douglas and Eric Stokes and, you know, before the season started, the whole, the whole thing was that, oh, our secondary is extremely talented, which they are. And, you know, they can man up anyone. We shouldn't be afraid to just use them and just, you know, run man and no fear. And then, you know, they do that. They get beat. I think, you know, it's you get, like, I understand it's frustrating to watch, but you can't clamor for more man defense. You can't clamor to trust your corners. And then when something happens and they get, get beat, you can't just give up faith and, oh, you know, they all suck. They're all terrible. I think you have to be like, I know this is a lot of, a lot of soapboxing. Obviously I, I'm aware of that, but you know, like when, when changes to the defense are made or when perhaps when they run more zone than they have in some weeks as they did in this game, you kind of have to be aware of why they're making these choices. And I think I really, I hate like the, the kind of knee jerk reactions when it comes to like the usage of players, especially when people don't fully understand, I guess the reasoning why, like, I don't. I don't profess to be an expert by any means, but I think you know you can you cannot like Joe Barry and also admit that there is some things that he does understand and do well. I mean that's why he has a job as a defensive coordinator in the first place. And like there's plenty to pick at with this performance, absolutely for sure. But I have no issue with Jair locking down Gabe Davis, who's also a talented young receiver. No, I'm I'm right there with you on that point too, and I. I think Lafleur gave actually a really good answer about this when asked about it on Monday during his weekly Monday press conference. And look, you can't, you can't appease everyone. There's the first thing, but also you just mentioned it right there, Nick, that look, Gabe Davis is a hell of a player as well. I think it was much, I don't want to say more egregious, but it was different in week one when Justin Jefferson is so clearly a key piece of that Minnesota offense. And yeah, Adam Thielen is a nice wide receiver too, but at this point of his career, he is a much different player. And if Eric Stokes was anything like he played last season, I don't think Thielen is nearly as much of a weapon in that game all the way back in week one. I know that's old news, but I think that brings us to a point then in this game, it's different when you're going up against a team like the Bills, when you've got Stephon Diggs, who is obviously an incredible talent. I think he's a top five wide receiver in the NFL or at least in the top For six sure. or seven. 
Gabe Davis is one of the best deep ball players that the NFL has seen in some time. And he's not even, you know, the true speed Deshaun Jackson type or a Tyreek Hill type, but he is an incredible deep ball receiver. You want to shut that down because Buffalo thrives on that so much. He was the one who caught the 98 yard touchdown from Josh Allen just a couple of weeks ago that was thrown 40, 50 yards down the field. He was streaking, screaming wide open. You've got to shut down at least somebody. And the Bills are just built as a team that is very much a pick-your-poison offense. It is hard to shut that team down. That is why they are the betting favorites to win the Super Bowl. That is why Josh Allen is one of the favorites, if not the favorite, to win this year's MVP award because they've got so many different ways they can attack you. So in this game in particular, I have no problem with what the, you know, I've got a lot of problems with what Joe Barry has has done and has schemed up, but I will say I don't have a problem with that in particular. Ja did an amazing job, and when he was on Stephon Diggs, guess what he didn't do? Allow any catches. Diggs did nothing against Alexander when Ja was in coverage on him throughout the game, so I don't personally have any issue with that. I think there are other things you can complain about with this defense, and again, go back to the quote LaFleur had on Monday about why you can't just say, well, why not put Jair Alexander in man coverage on Stefan Diggs the entire game? It's a little bit more complex than that, even if we don't always want to admit it. So for this game in particular against that offense, I really have no problem with it. You've got to slow down somebody. It just sucks that they have so many weapons that you frankly can't stop everyone. And to be fair, the Packers defense did a hell of a job against Buffalo. Now, whether that's Buffalo just playing down to the Packers or the defense actually stepping up. I mean, they did give up 27 points, but like I pointed to earlier, the Packers had more offensive production than uh, if I could be wrong. So, you know, step in if I say this wrong, but I believe the Packers had more offensive production than the Bills had. So they did do something. It wasn't, but they had a lot of misplays, but they were also dealing with, you know, Quay Walker got ejected. Um, and we can talk about that in a minute. Devondre Campbell was out for the game because of an injury. You know, people were getting banged up, so they were they were really struggling. I mean, let's face it, Isaiah McDuffie is a decent player, but he I don't think he's that starter caliber player at the moment. It could be something he could develop into because I thought he did some good things for coming in cold but then the other on the other side it was Eric Wilson who's only been with the team for a couple weeks so and he's primarily primarily a special teams guy so they they and I I think it was Collinsworth that said that it seemed like the communication was off with the defense once Devondre and Quay were out so that kind of hurt a little bit too but I like I mentioned before, I have to see it continue into the next games. So when next week it's Detroit, if they continue stacking the successes, then I'm going to buy in. But right now I'm just, I, one of my favorite bands ever is Guns N' Roses and they have the song Patience. And if I had a voice, I would sit here and sing verses and verses of it because it fits you know, just take your time, slow it down and just have a little bit of patience with it because that's all you can do. There's too many young guys. And this is what I've pounded the table before on this show with Nick. There's not really a veteran presence to be that veteran leader. 
so you've got to take the growing pains with it so you know if once i start stacking successes then i'll buy in but right now i'm just gonna live for the moment and say you know they had a performance but you know it could be a one-off i know i may have just did like a 360 on my whole what i just said but that's how i'm rolling right now guys Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, I, yeah, for sure. I think you know we've talked about a lot of these kind of like bright spots, but let's let's get into this is a couple of points of what really bugged you during this game to watch. I mean, it's yeah, there's a lot to pick. I think for me, it's just kind of yeah the continuing struggles of the safety play is something I want to talk about a little bit. The we're in a league at the moment where safety play is more important than it's basically ever been, at least in the past probably 15, 20 years. And, you know, we have talented corners, sure, but, you know, Eric Stokes is young. Jair is a risk taker at the best of times. That's who he is. Um, Russell Douglas, you know, he's kind of, he's a guy that is, he plays a little bit more off and, you know, he's a bit longer and that kind of thing. But, He's someone that is not as agile and especially in the slot is quite easily exposed with his lack of agility. So you really need the safeties on this team to do their job and be reliable and tackle as, you know, is maybe as hard of an ask as that might, might be. Um, I think, yeah, it's just really quite hard to watch this team where you know, Adrian Amos has been a borderline all pro the past two or three seasons and Daniel Savage, who was, you know, was promising and you just watch them like, almost giving up on plays it looks like or just taking horrific angles or you know uh, this that 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 touchdown that was scored that uh, where you know they that the player holds the ball does a, it's a light move to adrian amos and it, boom is they can practically walk in it's you know it's quite disappointing especially after a year we we led the league in tackles i believe last season and you know, it was supposed to be a point of emphasis that Joe Barry was this guy who could help the team tackle better and play secure ball. You know, I think it's just really hard to watch and it's something that needs to be addressed if this defense is going to be good at all. Uh, what, what do you think, Brendan? Yeah, I mean, the thing for me is that so many pieces of this defense have regressed from a year ago and yeah. you hit on so many of them right there, Nick. I mean, the, the tackling is awful. The, the tackling effort is just dreadful for this team most of the time. I mentioned it on the final dump the last two weeks, but, you know, Devondre Campbell last year was a first-team All-Pro. He does not look – I mean, he he's fine this year, but he's nowhere near – at the performance level that he had in 2021 and certainly not from a tackling perspective mm-hmm. that the tackling effort from Darnell Savage, I thought, especially in the first half against Buffalo was truly terrible. You've got guys who are, you know, like Eric Stokes. Yes. Still a young player, still a long way to go. He was one of the best rookie defensive backs, not just corners, all defensive backs last season. He has taken a gigantic step back this year in terms of coverage, in terms of tackling, lost his cool a little bit. We heard the report from John Kuhn on the radio broadcast on Sunday night that he was briefly removed from the game for some sort of disciplinary thing. He was taken off. I don't know if it was to get yelled at or what, but he has taken a huge step back. I think some of your veteran guys, even you know, Dean Lowry has been effectively a no show this year after he was a very solid player at the very least this past season when he was teaming up and tearing it up with Kenny Clark up front. 
you just have so many guys who aren't playing up to the potential we know that they have. And then you've got guys like Douglas who, yes, this is probably more so the player that he truly is. I think last year he was playing far above his expected level, which is fine and which is a huge compliment to him that he was still able to perform that well. But you have to have other guys who continue to play up to compensate for the guys who are playing out of their minds. I think that probably also includes Campbell last year when you look back at the other seasons throughout Devondre Campbell's career. And that's not a fault of those guys. It's just, hey, you had a great season. Now other guys need to pick up the slack when you regress back to what is your typical season. And this team has not done that. Adrian Amos has not had the year that I was hoping he would have, and I'm sure that he was hoping he would have as well. We've been over Savage a bunch this season. The edge rushers have been very solid. Kenny Clark's been kind of a no-show for the last several weeks because offensive lines are doing so much to try to eliminate the presence that he has in the middle of the field. And this defense plays so slowly, man. I know I'm focusing all on the defense here, but I think that's mostly because the offense kind of had that dead horse beaten a little bit. Like, we know guys can't separate. We know Aaron Rodgers is frustrated. The offensive line has been very up and down so far this year. Defensively, man, we talked about team speed earlier with wide receivers they could possibly add and needing more of that offensively. This defense, I don't even know if it's because of just pure foot speed or what. They play such a slow brand of football, and it's just waiting and nothing that's overly aggressive or anything. I I said this earlier tonight, but I would much rather have a team that's aggressive and whiffs as opposed to a team that is always playing soft and cautiously and giving up big plays or chunk plays that way. And we saw so much of that, especially on a lot of the intermediate middle of the field stuff once again against Buffalo. Buffalo is going to beat you with their offense one way or the other. Don't give them extra opportunities to gain extra yards and gain extra first downs. That's what frustrates me is the continued softness and the slow style of play is killing this defense because then you end up in situations like the Washington game where the other team can suddenly start imposing their will on you. You can't get off the field and then it's all over. You've got to get more aggressive. I just don't know how much of that is in Joe Barry's body of work, how much of that is in his coaching psyche. So I'm not sure that's an issue that can actually get fixed this year unless he has a complete change of heart or unless Lafleur totally fires him up and lights a fire under his ass and somehow gets something out of him that we just frankly haven't seen since Barry got to Green Bay. And you know what's really weird about what you just said about uh, the Packers defense looking like they're playing slow? And it it makes sense. Don't get me wrong. I, I totally agree with you on that what you said makes sense but it doesn't make the them playing slow doesn't make sense because they have so many fast guys on the team Jair you know he's a 4-3 guy Stokes was a 4-2 guy uh Darnell Savage was a 4-3 guy uh Quay Walker was what a 4-4 guy there's so many guys on this team that are speedsters but they're not playing like they're speedsters. The only guy that, I, I mean, even the, I agree with you in a way that the edge rushers were playing good against Buffalo, but I I kind of don't think they were playing great because it seemed like Buffalo definitely had a plan to push those guys out of way because it seemed like Rashawn Gary was out of, you know, they pushed him out of the play too often. Preston Smith played pretty good, but, you know, you can really tell that he's not that fast edge rusher. He's more of a a, a strength rusher because there were times that it reminded me of Brett Favre when he would take off running where it looked like he was running in slow motion. 
and it just it it boggles the mind that they can't play faster than what they are right now and i i don't i don't know what the fix is i agree brandon i really don't know what the fix is it, you know does jerry gray need to step up and say hey joe we need to you know maybe we need to quicken this up because you know jerry gray's got that defensive coordinator history to him but again i go back to it and i've said it each and every week that's where this leadership needs to step up and they just don't seem to have that one leader that'll step up and you know hey guys you know we need to do this they don't have that gladiator they don't have that guy that'll step up and lead the team they just they all do what they want to do it seems like that's why i was kind of happy with the jair trash talk because he was kind of he was playing like a ball of fire but it with all the potential this defense has and all the talk that we had in the preseason that hey this defense is going to be the best thing we're going to have while the offense learns it it seems like it was all talk at this point. So I, I don't know. I, I really don't. It, like Nick and I have said before on other shows, it's it's like Groundhog's Day every week. I don't know. I really don't. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's kind of the yeah same thing every week. And yeah, this it's... It's tough to watch, like you said. You know, especially, I think, what makes it so hard to watch sometimes is because that game against San Francisco in the playoffs was so good. And it was like, you know, kind of like a bit of a fairy tale kind of now that we look back on it. I think that was probably the exception. And, you know, the, the last thing I want to say about this game is just, as Brendan said, it's just regression. It's just the regression of people who are supposed to be the cornerstones of this, this team and just not holding up their end of the deal. And, you know, some of it you could probably predict like like Campbell and Rasul to some extent. But then you get some people who just like fallen off a cliff, like, yeah, like, like Savage and Amos and to some degree, some of the guys in the O-line, Jenkins because of injury, you know, we, we, we can all go on about this. But yeah, that's to me kind of what the story is of this season is just not having, like not really being sure who you can rely on because of that regression. And um, yeah, that's basically the last thing I have to say about this game. <laughs> right. I think we probably we're our time is starting to wind down. We probably should move on to uh, over-unders. Let, let's, let's move over to the Detroit game and get through that real quick. For sure. So let's do it next week at Detroit. Try and bring a little bit more energy back into the room. And we're all feeling a bit deflated after covering how horrible that, that game was for us, even with some promising aspects. At Detroit, you know, hometown, friendly neighborhood punching bag. They finally cooled down a little bit. And <laughs> hopefully Green Bay can kind of, you know, pile on the next the next loss. You know, I mean, they were a bit starved for a win here. And, you know, uh, I saw this on Twitter today. Matt LaFleur has never lost five games in a row in his career. So we got this one in the bag, guys. Don't stress. <laughs> so, you know, as I said, it's something that's, again, it's a little bit more theoretically winnable. You know, let's ignore the rest of the stuff that's happened this season. Let's look at, you know, how we can take advantage of this team. If we're going to win this game, uh, who do you think or how do you think that that's going to happen, Brendan, if you want to expand? 
I mean, it to me is as simple as you have to find a way to move the ball. Like D- Detroit's defense is not good. They've got some pieces that can move it offensively. We know of some of their talent. You know, the running backs room is quite talented. Jamal Williams has had a really strong year. DeAndre Swift, I think, is a very talented running back as well. Amon Ross St. Brown got apparently all the talent we thought EQ was getting. <laughs> he's a very strong player, has dealt with some injuries, obviously pardon me this season, but he's a strong player. TJ Hawkinson, I think is a true weapon. I know Joe, you're a big fan, obviously there. Love him. I, <laughs> I, I mean, it just simply comes down to, can you move the ball against this defense? And I think that's kind of the, you know, the bare minimum baseline for the rest of the season, yeah. right? Like if you cannot move against this defense, a not very well coached, not especially talented defense that now is down a coach because Dan Campbell fired their defensive backs coach, uh, Aubrey Pleasant earlier this week. If you can't move the ball against these guys, folks, I mean, it's just not going to happen this season. And it's unfortunate that that kind of barometer game comes after the trade deadline. It'd be nice to have one more week after that matchup to kind of determine, Hey, do we need to go get someone or not? But if you can't find a way to move it against this defense, it's just not going to happen. So whatever it takes, maybe that's going to be running the ball. Obviously there are going to be passing opportunities. The Dolphins offense has really been clicking so far this year, especially working the ball to Tyree kill and to Jalen Waddle. Packers don't have any dudes like that, but they were able to shred the pass defense for the Lions on Sunday afternoon. The Packers should be able to find something, whether it involves a new receiver or not. Hopefully you can get Lazard back. I'm not necessarily optimistic about that, but you can develop a little bit of something through the air so you can start moving the ball that way. Look, it, it's do or die time in this game because if you, even if you win, but you end up winning some sort of gross you know, nine, seven, 12, 10 game or something like that. I'm not going to feel any better about getting that win when you have to face real defenses again. So you've got to find a way to get some kind of rhythm. You have to sequence the victories together. You've got to, as, as you were mentioning earlier, I can't remember which one of you said it. I think it might've been you, Nick, but you've got to stack the successes on top of each other. You have to stack the wins on top of each other. That's not just a week to week thing. That's a play by play thing for this offense. And if LaFleur can get the calls right, if Rogers can execute and he can get some help from his receivers and from the running backs and the offensive line too. I mean, it's a group effort. If you can do that against Detroit and you can look like a cohesive offense, I will be able to at least buy in a little bit more. If you can't do that against this team, it's over. It it just, there's no reason to believe if they can't do it against Detroit, that they could do it against pretty much anyone else. For sure. I really don't have anything more to add to that because Brendan pretty much covered everything. I mean, you can't... Detroit, to copy Dennis Green, Detroit is who we thought they were. You know, they're not overly great. I mean, it sucks because Dan Campbell seems like a hell of a guy and could be a hell of a coach, but he's in such a terrible position. I don't know if the Lions are eternally cursed or what, but they have so much talent, they just can't do anything with it. And it it really scares me because – this is what the Packers are starting to look like. They have so much talent, but they can't do anything with it. And I just, I, I want to see the continued build of the run game. You know, hopefully I'm not banking on it, but hopefully Christian Watson will come back healthy and, um, you know, finally have a breakout game, you know, let, Torre build on what he did let Dobbs build on what he did get my boy Amari out there you know he's gonna go for five catches I'm calling it right here five catches against this Detroit Lions 
<laughs> um, I, hey, I'd be thrilled. Five catches, five hundred yards. <laughs> Let's do it. Book it in. Yeah, definitely five hundred yards. I, I've got it. No, <laughs> but I mean, it, and you also hate to see it because Jamal Williams is up there, and I don't know anybody that could hate on Jamal Williams. That guy is an amazing person. He's funny. He's always got a smile on his face. It, and you just hate seeing him in purgatory like that. But, uh, you know, and Jared Goff, I, what a, what's a nice way of putting it? He's not like Ryan Leaf terrible, but he's also not good. <laughs> um, he, he can have his moments and he's definitely he can sling it. He's got an arm, but he, but then again, the Packers unfortunately have a history of playing down to these guys and letting them run all over them. But I don't know. Like I said, there's not much more I can add to what Brendan said because he pretty much touched on everything. You know, we got to build success or stack these successes. And I I don't want to look past Detroit, but, as doing the podcast and everything, you do kind of look forward to the next game in a way, just because if we can build and continue to build uh, confidence, then it's going to look better the next week. And then hopefully we can continue building the who's after Detroit. Is it Dallas? Believe you are correct about that. Dallas. Okay. Um, And we definitely, I'm sorry, we definitely can't lose to Mike McCarthy in Dallas. There is no way. They're I, good, man. They're really I, good. As much as I hate to say it, they're really good. I I know, but look how that <laughs> Mike McCarthy ended in Green Bay. There is no way that his first game back into Lambeau, I believe it's at Lambeau, right? Yes, you are correct about that. Jeez, I'm two for two on that one. I'm just pulling this shit out of my head, out of my ass here, guys. Um, but his first game back in Lambo, we cannot let him have a win. <laughs> just like I said, being fired mid-season, that whole situation was not good to end his tenure as Packers head coach. We can't let him come back and have some kind of revenge. So I just hope and pray that they will go in and dominate Detroit and build up confidence and stack successes. And we can go back to Lambeau and not put up a turd against Dallas. <laughs> yeah. And with that, you know, kind of, yeah, let's, let's look at who our guys are for this game. We've all picked one guy to highlight as we do every single week. And obviously this is the first time Brendan's been on. We'll kind of set the example first. Uh, if you want to start, Joe, who is your guy for this week? I've picked him once before, but I have a specific reason. And I told you guys this earlier when we were talking pre, uh, pre-record. I, I, I'm going to go with Quay Walker. And the reason is, with him getting the penalty and him getting ejected, I want to see how he mentally recovers from it. He's a young guy. He, you know, first year, is he going to come back and play like he had been playing, you know, 
put it all on the line, run side to side, sideline to sideline, lay the hits, or is he going to be a little bit more timid? So I, I'm really going to keep an eye on Quay, and unless the Packers do some kind of, I, I think they said that the league was looking at a fine and not a suspension for Quay, but being Lafleur is more of a. I don't want to say hard ass, but you know, more of a, a strict guy. I could see them doing some kind of internal punishment on him, but I, I don't know. They would have probably announced it by now if they were going to do that, but I, I'm really looking to see how he rebounds after what happened at Buffalo. Yeah. I love that pick, to be honest with you. I mean, it, sorry no, to cut you off there, Nick. I, I really like that pick. I mean, you that's what you want to see out of these rookies, right? You want to see them be able to respond. He got chewed out by Matt LaFleur on the sideline right after the penalty. He was obviously emotional about it after the game. I like the thought that you, you want him out there and you want to see him rebound from that. And frankly, as simple as it sounds, not do something really stupid this week. That would be a very nice step forward for Quay. Yeah, yeah. And in a similar vein, I've chosen another young player, um, Amari Rogers. Uh, look, I know I've kind of dunked on him a few times in this show and not as not personally. You're starting to come around, I not, know. <laughs> not in the way that I'm like, oh yeah, he's going to like totally ignite this game. But, you know, Kind of like as as we are with with this Lions game, it, this is his time to do or die. You know, he's he's finally escaped from the special teams hell a little bit, and he's gotten you know a few snaps on offense. He had a that, that really good catch. You know, I, I think everyone rubbed their eyes a little bit. Oh my god, that's oh, that, Mari Rogers! Wow, you know, like he will have an expanded role this week if Watson is still out with a concussion. Very possible. If Lazard is out, if you know Watkins is, is still have have kind of a, that limited role and still making mistakes, um, he is going to be you know maybe like the third option, and he will have an opportunity to get those catches to maybe show off if he has a little bit of wiggle, you know, a bit of juice, and there's this something you know it would be really nice to see him have have a more expanded role, and especially in a week where we're looking for the offense to have a bit of a statement game to have a bit of a momentum building game. It would be really nice to see him have a role in that. Yeah, I mean, you are going to need somebody to step up. So I, I'm with you on Amari Rogers. Look, I've I've never been a Rogers guy and an Amari Rogers guy. I mean, I, I wanted the pick to work out, obviously, because we were all craving a receiver last year, but it I don't I still am very pessimistic about his outlook, but hey, he He's looked all right the last couple of weeks in limited snaps out there offensively. So if look again, I said it earlier when talking about getting carries for Aaron Jones, but beggars can't be choosers mm-hmm. at this point. And if we are continuing to beg and plead to get something more offensively for this team, I'll take it. If it's Amari Rogers, I'm going to go back to the defense, which seems a little counterintuitive given the fact that I talked about how important it is for the offense to be good in this game. But I'll give you a guy who has been so steady and so solid over the course of the year. Give me Preston Smith in this game who has not gotten the headlines because you've got Kenny Clark up front. You've got Rashawn Gary, who has lost a little bit of the shine from a national perspective right now, but he still is having a tremendous year. He's been one of the NFL's best breakout players this season, but Preston Smith, man, he has been so effective 
effective off the edge, both against the run and rushing the quarterback. I feel like it's almost every week. And I said this a couple of times, certainly during the Bills game on Sunday, that he just does a few plays a week where you think, man, that is just such a smart play. That is such an effective play. He doesn't even need to make the tackle. Can he set the edge? Can he contain the quarterback when it comes to Josh Allen, which he was able to do at least reasonably well, and very few guys do that well at all. He is just so effective in what he has been asked to do this season. He was good last year, especially in the second half. I know two years ago he had that down year in 2020 and everyone wanted to cut him. I was on that same boat. I think that also probably had to do with the coordinator at the time, which I think is a a fair complaint. Not that, you know, Joe Barry is exactly Vic Fangio or Buddy Ryan or something out there, but you understand my point. I think that if you get another game like that out of Preston, he he's not a vocal leader. We know that he is a lead by example yeah. guy, but you need to start getting more consistent week to week performances from some of your most important defensive players. Can you get that from Alexander? And can you get that from a guy like Preston Smith? That's I'll stick with Preston specifically as my guy to watch, but if you can get another solid game like that, I think it continues to boost some of the confidence for that front seven. And again, he has been so good over the course of the year. I'm excited to see him in this game. I I don't think I've ever said I'm excited to see Preston Smith before. I'm excited to see what he can do (laughs) against a pretty good offensive line for Detroit. Yeah, I, um, I really, really love this pick. If you haven't noticed, I think this is a a perfect game for our edge rushes to be tested. I think this is probably the best tackle duo we've faced all season. And I love these guys that Detroit has drafted as much as I hate to admit it. Penny Sewell and Taylor Decker a few years ago, these guys are so talented and they're, they're big, strong guys. You know, they play a real uh, physical brand of football up front on on the O-line there. And someone like Preston, who's exactly the same, you know, uh, he's not a real bendy guy, not an extremely agile guy. He's a big, strong dude, exactly the same. And, you know, even on the inside, you have someone like Jonah Jackson. These are all like, you know, <laughs> classic O-linemen, big, strong dudes. And I think it's going to be so entertaining to watch. Someone like Penny Sewell, who's, I don't think he's even, what, 22? Um, you know, I think it's going to be super entertaining to watch this, the kind of like the the old vet versus the young buck and it's like very similar kind of style and approach to the game i think yeah i I love that i can't believe i didn't think of that myself it's gonna be amazing yeah that's a good pick i I, but the uh edge rushers have been really decent so far i i think Mm -hmm. we were all worried about the depth at edge and now we're not worried as much because uh, you know we didn't even mention Kingsley at all. Mm. Uh, Kingsley Ingebara, I always struggle with his last name. Son of a bitch. <laughs> um, I'm just going to call him Kingsley from now on. Kingsley is uh, uh, really stepped up. I mean, I know there was talk about him in the preseason that uh, you know he wasn't really showing anything in practice, but. He's stepped up. So it's great to see, I guess I'm circling around to, you know, our edge rushers are now our key to everything because you got Rashawn, you got Preston, and now you got Kingsley. It's going to be, and going against this O-line, just like Nick said, it's going to be something to watch. So yeah, Preston Smith is a damn good pick. I appreciate that. I feel vindicated. (laughs) Yeah, amazing pick. Yeah, I like that one. So as we do every week, we'll finish up this section by covering our over-unders for the week. 
Joy always does his three over-unders. And as much as I think sometimes they might be a little bit inaccurate, they're always just on the mark. And I just feel like an absolute idiot. So if you want to take it away, Joe. I think I'm only going to do two this week just because I have some special questions wrote up here for Brendan. So we're going to go uh, – I'm going to – I'm going to do one for the Packers and one for the Lions just to kind of mm-hmm. even things out because, you know, whatever. But um, for the Lions one, I'm going to do 50 and a half yards for Jamal Williams. Now, obviously, Packers have struggled with running game for the last couple of years, but I set it at 50 and a half because, like, I don't know if you could tell earlier, I, I really love Jamal Williams. So, I, you know, I kind of – that would be the bright spot that I would love to see from the lions, even though it's, uh, you know, going against the Packers, but 50 and a half rushing yards for Jamal Williams. What do you guys think? I'll jump on this one really quick. First, I'm going to lean with under here. I feel like with Swift coming back and being able to get a little bit more of an increased workload as time goes on. I I mean, I love Jamal Williams too. Don't get me wrong. I do think Swift has a little bit more of a dynamic edge to him. So I would actually give the lean to Swift here, assuming he is going to be good to go ready to play in this game on Sunday. I will lean with a slight under for Jamal. He's actually gone over that number all but one time this season, which is a little surprising to me. And he is averaging plenty of yards per attempt. I do think though, they will lean heavily on DeAndre Swift with him back and more close to fully healthy. So I'll actually go with a slight under here, probably the underdog pick. Yeah, I've kind of um, changed my answer a few times thinking about this, but I got to say, yeah, probably going to go over. I think obviously, yeah, like you said, very dependent on the status of Swift, but I feel confident that, you know, maybe if they feel like uh, Swift is only even like on, a, on somewhat of a snap count or, you know, they're kind of monitoring his condition or whatever, I think Jamal Williams is the kind of runner that could, you know, he knows how the Packers like to run things more or less. And I think he could find success against this front who is willing to give up rushing yards and they've, they've shown that. Um, yeah, I have no issue really going over. And, you know, if nothing else, Jamal Williams' revenge game, you know, get some revenge on the... Uh, on Kenny Clark and some of his, his old friends. I'm in a weird situation right now because I, I'm so used to just it being me and Nick, and sometimes Nick would take the over and just to play devil's advocate, I would take the under just, you know, to go with it. But now <laughs> Brendan's got with the under, Nick's going the over, what do I do? You know, and obviously I can't do push because you don't get 50 and a half yards. So, but I – I think I'm going to let homerism go over on me, and I think I'm going to take the over on it just because I, I really, like I said, I, I, I love Jamal Williams, even though he is with Detroit right now, and I would just love to see him. At, it might not be much more. I mean, it could be, you know, 55 yards for him running or rushing. So, but I am going to take the slide over on it. For the Packer one, I'm kind of tossing these back and forth because it was really hard to come up with anything for the Packers just because it it has been so far this year so hard. Obviously, I'm not going to take carries for Aaron Jones because we finally eclipsed my numbers on that. So I'm going to go passing yards for Aaron Rodgers, 150 and a half. And I set it at that number because Aaron 
has been averaging maybe what 200 yards a game so it i could see them leaning more on the run again and him not getting as much and it's all going to depend on who's receiver this you know coming in if they bring somebody else in how the injuries are looking at game time so 150 and a half passing yards for Aaron Rodgers I'll give you the over for this one and it's pretty much just a an optimism thing that hey look if you're I made the whole point earlier if you are going to be a legitimate playoff contender this year you have got to figure out a way to get the offense clicking in this game against this defense that has struggled throughout the season. So if I'm going to lean with that, and I will be as optimistic as I can be that the offense is at least going to be respectable in this game, I think I've got to stick with saying, give me the over for Aaron Rodgers. Maybe not by a lot. Maybe they do get to run the ball effectively. That would be nice to see for a second game in a row. But I feel like if I go under, I'm going to be betting against what I already set out as the goal for this game. And I'm not really comfortable doing that in this matchup. So I'll take the over. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Uh, definitely over. I mean, look, some of it's optimism, but also some of it is just this team likes to pass the ball. I mean, they you know, they had the personnel to run the ball. But as long as Aaron Rodgers is under center, he, he wants to pass the ball. And I think... 150, so high, so low, but yeah, I'm going to go over. That made my pick so much easier. I'm going to say under, but it's not going to be by much. I, I think know it's it. going to be like 149, 150 right on the other side. So <laughs> thank you guys for taking the over because it just made my job a little bit easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think um, with that, that's probably all we have for the Lions game, the preview for next week. Um, with this comes conclusion, final thoughts. I know. Joe's been sitting on some special questions for our special guest just to finish up here. If you want to take it away once again. Yep. And this all comes from that. I did a little bit of Twitter stalking. Some, if you want to call it that, that uh, Brendan recently went to a WWE show. And so I used to be heavily into wrestling, Nick. I don't know how you feel about the whole wrestling situation. Cool. I don't know if that's something that's in your wheelhouse. So, I mean, you could even answer these questions if you want to, if you want to throw in your, your stuff. And, but, you know, I kind of made these a little bit kind of combined between football and, and the WWE. So the first one I got for you, Brendan is who on the Packers would make the best tag team. You know, I would have loved to have said Jair and someone else in the defensive backfield going into this season, but given how much the defense has struggled, I will flip the other way and go with the easy dynamic duo offensively. I'll go with the running back. You get the thunder and lightning combo. Easy enough. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Would you want to try to pin A.J. Dillon? I would not. So I, I think that's going to be my easy answer on the offensive end. See, now, I thought you were going to say something else when you earlier I if it were me I would have wished this question was asked of me a few years ago when Mike Daniels was still on the team oh yeah I would have said Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark because they were both wrestlers in high school and you know how a lot of professional wrestlers right now start mm -hmm. out as you know mm -hmm. they have that background behind them and Mike Daniels has that flamboyancy to him that 
you know, I would have took Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels. And kind of side note, I don't know if you know it, but him and Big E actually went to Iowa at the same time and are good friends. I did know that. So it, it, I could see, and they have the same type of personalities in that. So I could have saw them being an amazing tag team. I, and I, you know, AJ and Aaron Jones is an amazing. Aaron Jones a little bit, not so much because he, he seems too nice. <laughs> you know, it, it was <laughs> hard to see team. him being a, yeah. <laughs> so, but I could see Bakhtiari and God, who would be his partner? Bakhtiari would be the flamboyant, you know, he would be the character. He would be the voice. So maybe him and Jair, because that would be an, an entertaining duo. You could do that. That would be an amazing duo because they would never shut up. They'd be terrific on the mic. You I could see you, that. I, I can I get down with see, that combo. I could see Bakhtiari being the stone cold, you know, glass shatter, walk, you know, strut to the ring, catching the beers out of, you know, I could see that happening. <laughs> so I'm going to go with uh, Bakhtiari and Jair. I, I think that could happen. I love it. Nick, do you have anything to throw in on there? Um, I wish that uh, Zadarius was still a likable person, so I could have said the Smith Bros. But I mean, yeah, 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 that's the truth. Yeah, I guess you know, kind of going along with um, the receivers, I would yeah, I would say Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs. You know, the two rookies, two up and coming hotshot, two kids. That could be like you know a cute duo. But um, that's all I have to say about that one. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting they they would be like the luchador type that that i think that could work yeah. all right so this one is a little bit interesting we know the struggles of the both offensive defense and we know there's everybody's got players that they love and players that they hate brendan let's say you channel stone cold steve austin and you make your way up to Lambo and glass shatters and you kick open the locker room door. Who has taken the stunner from you? Man, <laughs> I know we were just hyping him up a moment ago. Man, it's got to be Amari Rogers, dude. Stop <laughs> fumbling punts. Like, if you don't want to, you don't want to eat that stunner, you hold on to a punt. And I do not have that faith right now. And hey, maybe, you know, maybe he gets a little bit stunned just to sit out for a, a punt or two. We throw Keyshawn Nixon back in there instead or something. So uh, my apologies to to the eight ball, but I got to go with Amari Rogers there. <laughs> Nick, do you have anybody you, you or you could even look at it the other way? You know, you're you're HBK and Marty Janetti and you're at the uh Barbershop, who are you throwing through the glass window? <laughs> um, look, I'm not the biggest guy, so I'll pick someone who's more my size. Probably like Randall Cobb is a bit of an older guy, I'm sure he'll be able to take it. I trust him. Um, yeah, and look, I don't think I'm gonna get my head knocked clean off like someone like Bakhtiari, so yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna say it. And I know everybody else wishes they could too, just to get his head straight, but I'm going to go with the old man, Aaron Rodgers. I, I would walk in there and I would kick him and I would stun him okay. and I would even pick him up and throw him through the glass. Just get your head on straight. Quit with this fucking diva shit and go out and be the leader of this team. And if you've heard our past episodes, you know how I feel about Rodgers. I love him to death, but he has turned into a major diva and he needs to cut it out. Yeah. And I would totally do it. 
but then I would get my ass kicked by like Bakhtiari and Kenny Clark and all that, all those guys. But I, it would be worth it just to get his head on straight. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all from us today, guys. Those are our final thoughts. So grateful and so happy to have our first guest on, hopefully a mini. Brendan, it was so amazing to have you on, especially for me as someone who's maybe a little bit disconnected from a lot of like podcast culture and really nice to have someone a bit more experienced on. It was a lot of fun. I hope you had a good, great time too. Absolutely, guys. No, I had an absolute blast. I truly appreciate the offer. And once once you get through some of the bigger name guests, if you ever uh, ever invite me back, I'd be happy to jump on again. Appreciate <laughs> you guys. You got an open invite. Anytime you feel like coming on, you know, just give us a shout and you're welcome back at any time. No, I appreciate that, boys. Thank you so much. Yep, so that'll be all from us, guys. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Outback underscore Packers, at Nicholas GRGR, and at Iowa underscore Joe86. And our special guest, Brendan, you can find him at Brendan DZW. Until next time, guys, see you later. <laughs>